After many years of studying human behavior at one of the finest universities of the world, and I guess that is, that is debatable, and I need my clicker. Sarah, I think it's in my jacket pocket in the closet. Thank you. Please. So, uh, this Harvard psychiatrist, Robert Coles, uh, remarked this, nothing I have discovered about the makeup of human beings contradicts in any way what I have learned from the Hebrew prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Amos, and from the book of Ecclesiastes, and from Jesus, and from the lives that he touched. He says, anything that I can say as a result of my research into human behavior is a mere footnote to the lives of those in the Old and New Testaments. Following a Sunday morning service, the pastor stood at the back of the church shaking hands with the worshipers as they left. As one man shook hands, he looked intently at the pastor and he said, powerful sermons, pastor, thoughtful, well-researched. I can see myself in all of them and I want you to knock it off. Both of those little excerpts speak to the truth of scriptures, right? Here this this man who studies human behavior just says, look, everything that I've learned is a mere footnote as to what the Bible has already said about human behavior. Because the Bible gets to what? The heart. And folks, as we read the Bible, and like a passage like this, the Bible does what? It reads us. We're going to look at some of the lives that Jesus touched. And I, and I know for myself, I, I see my, just like that guy said, talking to the pastor. I see myself in them. And it's not a pretty picture. Jesus has just mentioned the Holy Spirit and his ministry of speaking the truth. And testifying to Christ. And sometimes speaking the truth to us, especially when it's hard to hear. In situations that are what? Difficult. In situations that are sorrowful. In situations in in which we're suffering. In situations in which we're facing loss. In situations where we're confused. It's hard to hear that truth sometimes. But he wants to get to the heart of their sorrow. He wants to get to the heart of our situation. I've said it before when I, when I preach passages like this, and I'll, I'll just say it again. I'm going to be really convicted about what I say. I believe it wholeheartedly. But, but believe me, my conviction isn't always application. Uh, and this one in particular... I never thought three verses 
in the Gospel of John could, could speak to the heart in such a fashion like this one. And I, I hope, hope and pray that, that you allow God to really, really work in your heart this morning. I know that we always ask for that. We always want that. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying and why it's real important for us and, and, and how that truth uh, can really, really help us when we find ourselves in situations like this. I wanted to principalize this text because there are situations real specific to the disciples. However, that situation has a real direct impact on me and you today, the Holy Spirit. The fact that we can be convicted of, of, of truth, the fact that we can be convicted of sin in our lives is because of what is happening here, which just kind of blows my mind when we're thinking about it. Um, and I, I, want, I wanted to principalize it by asking three questions when we find ourselves in situations like this, where we're facing loss, where we don't understand, where we're, we're filled with sorrow, we're filled with, with grief, and then hopefully to see the main thought that is brought out of, that, uh, of this scenario, um, but with direct application to what the disciples are going, for, going through. So three questions uh, when we find ourselves in, in similar situations. And the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, well, who is the focus of our questions? So, or, or who is the focus of our concerns? Who is the focus of our priorities? And I'm going to show you why I, I phrased it this way when we look at verse 5 here. So listen to what Jesus says here. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going so, how is Jesus saying this? Because if we're following, we have to realize, did someone ask that question? Sure, right? When, it went, who asked the question? Remember? Peter, thank you. Peter asked the question in John 13, if you just flip over, John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, it's the same question, where are you going? So we so in order to get the proper application for this for this verse we have to understand what Jesus is saying here how can Jesus say none of you are asking me where are you going when Peter just recently asked him where are you going so we have three options number 1 Jesus forgot okay so he's not perfect oh wait a second yes he is okay so and, and he either he just slipped his mind that Peter just made a really big deal about that question, and, and then Jesus actually breaks into a teaching from that question, but he just simply forgot that Peter that had that, you know, we're shaking our heads. No, because throughout this, and I hope we've seen it, Jesus is the one who's always listening, right? Who, who's not listening? The disciples. The disciples aren't because as soon as Jesus says he's leaving, they get preoccupied with something else, or I should say someone else, right? So here's the second thing that Jesus, here's the second option that we have, that Jesus is kind of upset because they're not asking anymore, or he wants a little bit more pity from them. He wants them to be, oh, you're leaving us, you're, oh, please don't leave us. He wants them to be begging him to stay, or however, whatever it may be, but 
that doesn't really seem to, to fit the context. Or they're not asking him right now at the present moment. Now, you could say they're not asking him because they already know the answer, but we're going to see that they, don't really, they didn't really grasp that answer before. The third, the third option, and this is the one that I believe what is happening here because we, I've built the entire sermon basically off of this point, and other commentators agree as well, that it is, it is the wrong intent behind the question. It wasn't asked with the right person in focus. Who is Peter's first question concerned with? Is it concerned with where Jesus is going, why he needs to go, and what he needs to do, or is it concerned with Peter or the disciples and their loss? The second. They're more concerned with what they are losing rather than what Jesus is gaining and what Jesus is doing. They're more concerned with the present situation than Jesus' future glory. And because of that, Jesus is saying, none of you really care what I'm doing. And Jesus is actually saddened by this fact. Guy tells a story about his, uh, his, his wife and their marriage and how she has supported him uh, throughout the entire marriage. He says, I've done all these different ventures. And gentlemen, when you're listening to this, this is description, not prescription. So don't follow this guy's lead because it's a pretty bad one. He says, when we were first married, I was a youth pastor. I was taking classes at the University of Colorado at Denver, and I decided I'm going to be a writer. So my wife and I moved to the Chicago suburbs so I could take a job as a writer and editor. Then he says, about four years later, I became restless. So he said, I'm going to work on my, my MBA. Throughout this time, he's expected her to what? Support his plans, his goals, his ambitions, and to sacrifice for them. By that time, we had one child, and I also had a book contract. So I was working full-time, going to graduate school two nights a week, and writing a book. All of this while his wife is supporting him. Then he decided, I'm going to start a business. He says, at that time, we had two children, And the week that I told her I was leaving my secure job to start a business, she told me she was pregnant. And he said, well, you can be able to get through with this. So he goes, and again, women are all, our eyes are popping all over the place. So eventually, or he says recently, she came to him and she said she wanted to go back to school. How do you think this guy responded? He didn't like it. He was unsupportive and critical. He thought, we didn't have the money. We don't have the money. Or actually, you need to work more. So I guess at this point, I, I'm hearing that she was working and raising all these children and supporting these, this guy's crazy endeavors uh, one after another. 
And he, he says to her, he knew what he needed to do, but he says, it's killing me because it's so difficult because I had to think about what I had to give up. Now, I'm sure when this guy married his wife, he, he married out of love for her, right? But it seems like over a period of time within this relationship, what is, he is just using her to support his own goals and ambitions. Pastor Dave makes a very, very pointed comment about this, this passage in his exposition of the text. He says Jesus has many, many more users than, than followers in the church today. Using Jesus for, his, for our own goals and our own immediate needs and our own comforts. Who's the focus? Who are we more concerned about when we face these situations? When God is doing something in our life that kind of challenges us in the immediate moment, when we're facing loss, when we're facing discomfort, when we're facing anxiety, when we're facing all of these situations, where is the focus. We have to remember uh, with, with these guys, they were all thinking that Jesus was going to usher in the kingdom there on earth. Immediacy. They were all about immediacy. And then when they thought that, he, they asked this question to him. They come to him and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And we think, we look at that, we're like, oh, that's absolutely insane. And then Jesus responds to them, and I think that we think this is the response sometimes of Jesus to us, what do you want me to do for you? How can I serve you? What do you need right now in this current situation? And we become focused just solely on ourselves, and we use Jesus to that end. We want Jesus to change our situation right now. We want him to change it at the moment. We don't want to go through a period of, of loss. We don't want to go through a period of sorrow. And we're not interested in his plans but ours. Now, I want you to hear me out. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel those emotions, and we're going to talk about those emotions. But what is happening here is they are so caught up in themselves, they're missing the greater plan. And that's what happens to us. And trust me, I'm preaching to myself. That was me these past couple weeks. Woe is me. The Grammys were out. If Christian had, if the Christian church had Grammys, I would have left with an armful. I just, all I could care about is relief for me in the present situation because I'm just focused on myself. Jesus is actually saddened for this because they're not at, they don't really want to know what he's doing. They're not concerned about his plans. They're just concerned about their moment here and now and their loss and how it doesn't feel good in the moment. 
I had a guy, I was talking to a guy this past week, and I was telling him I was going through this passage, and I was just telling him just how hard it was for me, and that how it, I just felt like I shouldn't even come up here and preach this sermon, because it's, the application for me just isn't there, because I get so self-focused, and he, he gave a really good illustration, and he's talking about how we, we look at our dots, right? You do the connected, I would never do a connected dot like that. That's insanity. That would drive me crazy. But we look at our dots and we have these dots and all we see is the dots that are what? Right in front of us. So what do we try to do? We try to connect those dots. You ever do a connected dot and you're doing a connected dot and it's, it's here and then the next dot is like all the way over there and you're like, wait, why did that guy put that all the way over there? But what happens is we get focused right here. This is all we see. And, and we try to fix it. We try to connect that dot. We try to make that plan. And we, we just try to make sense. And when things aren't connecting well, what do we do? We get all upset. We allow those emotions to overcome us. But we don't know where the next dot is. The next dot can be all the way over here. We have no idea what God is doing, and that's what He's doing here. We're going to look at the ramifications if they got what they wanted. And He's redirecting them. And He's saying, your priorities are wrong. You're just fixated on the present moment and on yourself. And because of that, you're missing out. The many commentators kind of compare this to the, the dad or the, the, the mom or whoever's at home and they're playing with the child. And then all of a sudden they got to what? Go to work. And they say to the child, I got, we got, I got to go. And the child says, where are you going? Does, does the child want to hear what that, where that dad is going and what he's going to do eight hours, at, eight hours at the office? No. What is he concerned with? I'm losing my playmate. This doesn't feel good right now. No, please. But if dad doesn't go, guess what? Kid doesn't have clothes. Kid, you know, there's no food. You know, there's ramifications if the, if the child gets what he wants at that moment. We may have to go through something for a period of time without Jesus changing it because something later on is going to happen that benefits his kingdom, that brings him glory, and causes us to grow. The one who truly loves Christ is going to ask serious questions about what he's doing. Whether or not those answers affect us here and now, or 10 or 20 years down the road. And our focus that we have in those situations is going to affect our emotions. So it brings us to our next question. How has our focus affected our emotions? Because the two are tied together. Listen to what Jesus says. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
I'm not going to be the best guy to talk about emotions, so we're going to tread softly here. (laughs) I have emotions, and I I cry a lot of different stuff, but sometimes I'm very, very, you know, you just got, yeah, everyone's laughing, and they know. This kid's got, (laughs) this kid's got emotions. I love this picture. I don't... He's all dressed up so nice, like, ah, the world is ending. This is, he's done. He's, go, he's gone for the day. They're not able to go to the wedding. He's lost it. Complete control is, is just, what. yeah, he, he has none of it. GQ has humorous analysis on when guys should or should not be allowed to uh, shed tears. Uh, so uh, the author says, male crying is, is not new. uh, It's been happening for as long as men have had eyeballs. So, but it almost always is done behind at least three closed doors. Here are some of GQ's rules about public crying for men. When is it okay to cry? They say it's okay to cry if you're in extreme pain, like if a piano were dropped from a 50-story window on your foot. (laughs) If you're going to cry from pain, it has to be at least an eight on the pain scale. It's okay to cry at certain works of art or film. For instance, if you do not get misty eyes at Toy Story 3, you are a monster. It's almost weird if you don't sob the first time you hold your newborn baby. There's no shame in that, brother. It's definitely weird if you sob during a sports event, although you can cry if you are actually one of the athletes on the field. But even then, you can only cry if you win. If you're just a fan, the rule is simple, never, ever, ever cry. Finally, never, ever cry during an argument with your wife or your significant other, uh, your girlfriend, As the woman who wrote the article notes, sorry guys, but crying during an argument is our kind of thing. So they own the crying during an argument. And that's when the guys automatically, whatever, however upset you are, you're like, ah, she's crying. That's it. You know, it's it's over and done with. I don't follow the GQ guide. I I actually cry at a lot of movies. Um, But also, I don't want people to get emotional at times. I think I've shared the story of when my my daughter was young. Sorry, Dave Barris. She was was young, and she's bawling her eyes out over something. I just looked at her. I said, that's not something you're supposed to cry over. She says, Daddy, crying is normal. And I said, okay. (laughs) Crying's normal. These guys are are upset. They're they're upset. And and Jesus is kind of correcting it. Now, there's a couple things that we... There's a... I got a little emotional guide here. I'm going to try to guide us in, in emotions as best as I can. Um, so, number one, I just want everybody to hear emotions are natural. Crying is normal, right? Crying is normal. And, and some people are going to cry over things that we might not think they should cry over. However, uh, there, there's a bunch of things that we have to see here, and our focus, our focus affects our emotions, okay? So, there's a, I, who we are focusing on is going to affect how we respond to the situation, how emotional we are in the situation. So notice what Jesus says. Sorrow has what? Filled your heart. They're overcome with grief. They're overcome with sorrow. There's no room for anything else. 
that is not good. As a matter of fact, there, it, it is probably, one commentator says, they're, they're probably paralyzed by this. Not good. That's not how we want our emotion. We don't want our emotions to control us in this situation. And if we're focused on ourself, if, we're a, if we are so self-centered and not focused on Him, then our emotions are going to reflect that, aren't they? If all I care about is the here and now, my present situation, the pain that I'm going through, then our, my emotions are going to reflect that. Now, again, hear, hear me out when I say there's going to be sorrow and sadness. As a matter of fact, it's pretty appropriate that they're going to be sad. He does not want that to overpower them or paralyze them. He's trying to get them to see the, the truth. To see the truth is what happened. Go, if we go back to John 14, 28, he says to them, if you loved me, you would what? Rejoice that I'm going. So he's, he's telling them, hey, you guys have the wrong perspective. You're not looking at this situation properly. And all your focus is on yourself. It's on your loss, not on my gain, or ultimately on their gain. It's all they see. They're just, they're just wrapped up in it. They're overcome with sorrow. They can't see anything else. It's clouded their vision. So not only does the focus, what does he try to do? He tries to inform them with what? The truth. The truth is going to help our emotions in situations like this, where we don't understand what God is doing, where we're, we're experiencing some sort of suffering or some sort of loss, we have to remind ourselves with the truth. This is what Jesus, matter of fact, his very next uh, sentence is what? I tell you the truth. Now, this is not, we don't go up, it's, we don't go up to people and just shoot truth darts at them or throw verses at them or, or tell them they don't have enough faith at the time. That is not how we to do, are to do that. Jesus is ministering to them in this. He's, he's redirecting them in this. And he's doing it in a, in a loving fashion. So please don't go hurling verses at people when they are suffering. And that actually sometimes does the opposite to people. Um, we, need to, we need to speak truth, and, but we need primarily to receive the truth ourselves. We need to hear what Jesus is saying. That's what he wants his disciples to do. He, he wants them to grasp the, the, the beauty and the, and the joy of what is happening not the, not the sorrow. He wants them to see that what is happening is going to be for His glory, for God's kingdom, and, and, and for their benefit. 
if we allow our emotions to take a hold of us, it leads to despair. If we do not inform, if we don't try to change our focus appropriately, appropriately, meaning it's okay to take care of yourself in a situation that you don't, that is causing you pain. But if we try to focus on Him in that situation, or, but if we focus on ourselves, and if we allow our emotions to take over, it's going to lead to despair. We're going to be hopeless. And we're going to think that God isn't doing anything in our lives. And, and that's a place that we have to be really, really careful of. So we want to change our focus. We want to inform with the truth. But we also want to, we want to be aware that, that Jesus is aware. He, he actually notes their emotions and He says to them, Hey, I know you're sorrowful. <laughs> he says, I know. I know exactly what you are going through right now. I know why you're going through it. I understand it. And, and the beauty of what is happening here is that because Jesus goes and because the Holy Spirit comes, He can minister to us at that present moment when we find ourselves like that. He knows your heart. He knows all the sorrows that you are going through. He cares for you. He, is a, he was a man who is acquainted with grief and sorrow and suffering and pain and loss. He understands. He understands it. He grieved when Lazarus died. And he lets them know, hey guys, I know because I said this, you guys are feeling this way. And we can skip right over that. But he wants us to see that he is very, very aware of what we are going through. And he cares. And he wants us to feel better. He wants to pick us up. Have us move on. And it's hard. Reminds me of the story of Elijah. Remember Elijah? Now, Elijah was a guy who was what? All focused on God, and he was doing God's work, and he has this great event, and he, you know, he, you know, calls down the fire, and, and there's the prophets, and then all this wonderful stuff is happening for God, and, and then he what? He becomes fearful, and he, he runs away, and he hides. So, is the first thing that God does to Elijah, is the first thing he says to him, what are you doing? No, what does he do to Elijah? He says, hey, brother, you need a sandwich and a nap. <laughs> you ever feel that way? Sometimes your emotions just are over, you're overwhelmed. I know when I need a nap. There are times I get cranky, I get all discouraged, and I'm just, and Sarah will tell me, you need, you need a nap. You know, have a sandwich, have a nap, eat something. God, God takes care of him physically first. He gives him something to eat, tell, puts him in a sleep, and then he does what? Then he asks a question to Elijah. What are you doing here? What? Hey, what's up? <laughs> what happened? You know, you were, you were here on the mountain, and now you're here. 
And then how does Elijah respond? Elijah was a little me-focused, wasn't he? I'm the only one left. I, 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 they're out to kill me. And Jesus, and God's like, oh, slow down, Elijah. And he fixes his focus, doesn't he? He fixes his perspective. And he says, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee. Elijah, I'm doing something here. You have to be aware. And then what does he do? He gives him something to do. He gives him a purpose. And that's how God works in our lives. And Jesus is trying to get these guys to, 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 to not be filled with sorrow. He's trying to say, hey, there's a big thing going on here, much, much bigger than what you see is before you. As a matter of fact, it has ramifications for all of us sitting here today, doesn't it? What is happening right there in that moment has ramifications today. And the goal, and what happened with Elijah, and what's going to happen with the disciples and with all of us, is that Elijah grows in that situation. And the disciples are going to do the same. And that's one of the goals that we should have, but there are many goals that we should have in those situations, and that's one of the last questions we need to ask ourselves. What's our goal? What, what, is, what is my ultimate goal? Is my ultimate goal my comfort, my kingdom, my glory, or is my ultimate goal His kingdom, His glory, and my spiritual growth? Listen to what he says in verse 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage or benefit or for your good that I go away. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's very interesting. Jesus it's the, the word for advantage, it's like profit and loss. So it's actually a profit, which is weird because they're looking at strictly as a loss. They're losing Jesus, and Jesus is saying, no, I, you need to inform yourself with the truth here. I understand why you're feeling this way, but see it this way. What you think is a loss is actually a gain. And, and we have to ask ourselves that question when we're in, in, that goal, when, in that situation, what's our ultimate goal? Is our ultimate goal my immediate need, my immediate comfort, or is my ultimate goal His glory, His kingdom, and my spiritual growth? And we're not, I'm not thinking like that. I ain't thinking about growing. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, and then, and then when, when we go in the situation, then we're going to ask questions that are pointed to those goals, right? Then we're going to really ask serious inquiries as to what God is doing, whether or not those answers affect us here and now. He says it's to your advantage. It means to bring together in a heap or in a pile, 
So what they think is bad is actually good for them. It is something that is actually more profitable for them if he were to stay. So if they got their wish, what's going to happen? Marvel does a what-if series. I don't know if anyone's seen the what-if series. But it's all these what-ifs, right? What if this happened? What if this happened? And they go through all these different worlds about all these what-ifs. What if Jesus says, okay, guys, I'm just going to, you guys are awesome. I love hanging out with you. All right, you convinced me. I'm not going, I'm not going to go to the cross and die. I, just forget that idea. That was silly. I don't know what I was thinking. I just love hanging out with you guys. Well, eventually, Jesus, they're going to die, right? And Jesus is still going to be alive because he's God. And what, what's going to happen? There's no salvation. I mean, that's a pretty big deal if Jesus stays, isn't it? So, and this just really makes us think outside of our own situation, which we, we tend not to do. We have no idea. We have absolutely no idea what God is doing in our life, how that will affect others years down the road. You and I are a direct result of Jesus going. Jesus going to the cross Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being buried, Jesus rising, ascending, and the Holy Spirit coming. Direct result of what happened. Direct result. There'd be no Holy Spirit if Jesus doesn't go. We wouldn't understand anything about this passage. There'd be no salvation, no Holy Spirit. There'd be no kingdom. Because the Holy Spirit comes... And he fills the apostles, and what do they do? Then they're used by God to expand that kingdom, to proclaim that gospel. He gives them a purpose. He gives them life. And he gives them what they wanted. What did they want? His presence. And he's saying, this is so much better. You want me with you? Okay, I'm going to be with each one of you personally, and I'm going to be with each one of you personally for all eternity, and no one's going to take it away. There'd be no Sunday service today if Jesus stays. We sometimes have absolutely no idea what God is doing in our lives and how what we're going through now is going to affect, first and foremost, His kingdom. The expansion of His kingdom, how it's going to affect other individual lives down the road, and how you and I are going to grow through what we're going through. Most parents believe that they are primarily responsible for the spiritual development of their children, but few of them spend time interacting with their youngsters on religious matters, according to the latest Barna Research Group. Close to 9 out of 10 parents of children under 13, 85%, believe that they have the primary responsibility 
for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual issues. However, over a thousand adults, a survey that was given, found that those parents have no plan whatsoever for the spiritual development of their children. They do not consider the spiritual growth or development of their children a priority in their lives. They have little or no training on how to nurture their child's faith. They have no standards to satisfy, and they experience no accountability for doing so. Although two out of three parents of children under 12 attend religious services at least once a month, generally take their children with them, most are willing to let their church provide all of the spiritual training needed for their children. Let me ask you a question. As God's children, as God is our Father, do you think that He has a priority for our spiritual growth? I hope we all shake our heads yes. <laughs> Let me ask you, do you think God has a priority for our spiritual growth? Absolutely. Let me ask you another question on that one. Do you think He has a plan for it? Absolutely. Let me ask you another question on top of that one. Within that plan, do you think it includes difficult times? Yes. Let me ask you another question on top of that third one. Last question. If it's God's priority, do you think it should be ours in our situations? Is it always? (laughs) There's no way. No, there's no way. It's just not. It's His. If Jesus stays, if, if Jesus doesn't go, the disciples don't grow at all. At all. There's no Holy Spirit. The kingdom doesn't grow. The blessing of the Holy Spirit, the power, the comfort, the presence, the guidance, the truth, it doesn't happen. None of it happens if they get what they want at that moment. Trees, you know how they grow strong? You would think that if you were to plant a tree in the middle of an open field with a whole bunch of sunlight, that it would just grow strong, all that rain coming down, all that sunlight, it actually is the opposite. Because they say that uh, too much sunlight and too much easy, fast growth does not produce healthy trees at all. As a matter of fact, it produces trees that are susceptible to fungus, to disease and bugs, and they die quickly. It's the ones that grow in the shade. It's the one that, ones that grow in the dark. Limited sunlight. Strong. And the ones that last a long time. We can all be like those little saplings wanting to absorb all the sunlight that we can get. No darkness, no difficulties. But here we see the spiritual truth that comes out of this is self-absorption hinders our spiritual growth. If we're taking it all in and we just want everything for ourselves, we want to be comfortable, 
We want all the sunlight. We don't want any shade. We won't want any trees around us. Whatever it is, we are going to be hindered in our spiritual growth. The disciples would never have grown if Jesus stayed. It would, it's a direct result. They could not see beyond themselves. They could not see beyond their sorrow. They were filled with it. God wants us to grow. He sent us His Holy Spirit so that we can learn more about Him. So that we can go through this life to be used by Him to expand His kingdom. And sometimes, sometimes, that expansion and that growth for His kingdom and in our own lives happens in very, very difficult situations. Just got to ask ourselves the right question. Who are we in it for? Who's the focus of our lives? The focus of, are we asking serious questions of God? Are we allowing that, that, that focus to, to influence the way that we respond emotionally? And what's the goal of our situation? Am I just trying to get comfortable Am I just trying to get out of it? Or is my goal His glory, His kingdom, and ultimately, I mean, and, and for, for us personally, our spiritual growth? Hard questions. A really, really, really hard sermon for me. That's why I'm not going to be standing at the back of the door when we leave this. I'm just kidding. You can ask as, as much as you want. But I, I hope that, I hope that, We've all allowed God to do some work in our hearts today, as difficult as it may be. Father, thank you for these little gems in the midst of so much truth and wonder and beauty in your scriptures, Lord, that these verses that we sometimes may just pass right over, not fully grasping uh, what's happening Thank you for your Holy Spirit, that because of what we've talked about, we have your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth and, and to help us in those situations, those situations that just don't feel good, Lord. And we want to get out of them. I know I do. We want to just feel better. But Lord, you're doing something much greater in our lives and much greater in this world. Help us, help us to focus on that. Help us to desire that as much as you do. Help us to trust in you when we don't understand and when we're full of pain. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.